if you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. We've been sharing called Matters of the Heart, and last week we talked about how that we should get our hearts fixed on obeying God quickly. And that is an important thing with God. You know, if we're not obeying Him quickly in His promptings and dealings, uh, it, it can lead to some not good results. But anyway, the Lord is still for us. We just need to realize this. Uh, just because God is for me does not mean things automatically happen in my life. Just because God cares about me, just because, you know, and he does and he's merciful, there's still an element of human cooperation for the believer. And that is super important uh, for people to realize I have to cooperate with God. Not just cooperate with him to get saved, but I need to cooperate with him in obedience and responsiveness to him. And I know that sometimes people get the idea, well, I'm saved, everything will just be fine, I'll make it to heaven. Uh, but there are a lot of things in between and that will affect our walk with God while we're here how we do his will, and then it does affect eternity. Nobody wanted to hear that. But, but it does affect eternity, how we walk with God, how we receive rewards, and how other people are affected in this earth. How people are affected is not all up to God. Are you with me? If it was up to God, you know this world would be shining bright. Amen. You could leave your car unlocked. You could leave your wallet or your purse on top of your car and walk into the store. It would still be there. Amen. And who knows if, you know, if God was just in control of everything, he'd, he'd maybe uh, prompt somebody to give you an extra 20 and you'd come back and go, oh, I left my purse up there. And you'd open it up and you'd go, oh, there's an extra 20 in there. We see the opposite. Your purse may be there and all your cards and money gone. Amen. So, so this life takes cooperation with God. God wants believers to live powerfully. God wants believers to live victoriously. And so we're going to look here in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and we're going to read in the 6th verse. Now, you can look on in there, but... Um, I'm going to read from the New International Version. And uh, this verse right here, now think of this. This was written for us. What happened years ago that we're about to uh, read was an example for us and then written so we could learn something by this. So this was an imp important example that these people lived out thousands of years ago, that God intended for us to learn a lesson to actually protect us and help us in this life. Notice the sixth verse. It says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These were people who had been supernaturally delivered from bondage. And uh, they had been brought out of Egypt, and uh, God had a great plan for them. And, uh, but 
it's so wild, even though they came out of Egypt and were being led by God and moving forward with God, uh, they still had to guard themselves from evil things, from uh, bad habits, uh, compromise in their life. Amen. And so these things were written, notice, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Or you could say it like this, succumbing to the same traps and temptations that are in the world. You don't always hear a lot about temptation, but temptation is real. Temptation is something that draws people. It doesn't go in line with the current or the flow of God. And so what we need to realize is, is when we're in this world, we are going to face temptation. That is just a product of being in a fallen world, and not only being in a fallen world, before it had fallen, the devil was here, and he tempted Adam and Eve. And so these things were written as examples. You know, in our day and age, we're trying to figure out... Uh, what example to follow? Is a sport, used to be like, is a sport, sporting figure, you know, some athlete, is he an example? Is he a hero? Um, you know, there used to be those discussions. And now it's gone so far, we don't even ask that anymore. We're like, nah, they're not a hero. They're not an example. Now, what I would think is if I have an example I want to give you, the thing I would do is I would think, I want to give you a positive example. Wouldn't you? But isn't it interesting that we're about to look, there's four different examples, we're only going to look at one, but God actually gave us a negative example. And he kind of actually gives us the breakdown so that we can look how they fell negatively and why they did so we can keep ourselves from it. And we're going to look at this and you're going to find that there's strength available, health available, provision available in this principle here uh, and a full life with God. And, uh, and this example to me is amazing. Are you with me? You don't even know which one it is, but we're going to read on. I'm going to read on in the seventh verse. Actually, I'll read it again in New King James in the sixth verse. Now, these things became our examples to the intent, or this was God's intention, that we should not lust or desire fix our heart on evil things as they did. You know what's interesting? The Bible said a wise person or a wise man will learn from a fool's ways. So if we see where they did something foolish, if we're wise, we'll gain understanding. We'll, we'll gain understanding. And we'll go, oh, that's bad. How many of you know if uh, there was some big investment thing and some people invested in something and every time somebody invested in it, it was bad. How many of you would go, I'm going to be wise here. I'm not going to invest in that. Some of you aren't sure. Some of you are really thinking, maybe I should. Maybe someday I'll turn. Remember, the hypothesis is, is it always turns out bad. 
So if it always turns out bad, then we'll go, okay, let's not do that very thing. And so in the seventh verse, it goes on, and he gives the first example. And it says, and do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. Well, if that's all you read, you would think, oh yeah, the, don't become an idolater. What, what is he talking about here? What is he telling us in this context? And what's he saying that will help anybody who's a believer and understand this? There are some inherent things here in these verses. Now, do this with me. Turn to Exodus 24, and we're going to look at this uh, you know, eating, drinking, rising up to play. And we're going to see the story that he was talking about and what he was warning us and explaining that would help us. How many want help? Not everybody. How many want help for somebody else? Oh, good. Oh, that's good. We have compassionate people. So Exodus the 24th chapter, and we're going to begin reading, pages were sticking together, in the, uh, we'll start in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, now this is a story, he said, be careful about idols, and be careful about, you know, eating and drinking and rising up to play. Verse 12 said, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stones, which we know are the Ten Commandments. And he said, and the law and the commandments which I have written, uh, that you may teach them. So here Moses is, and he said, listen, God starts speaking to him, and he said, come up on this mountain, I'm going to meet with you, I'm going to talk with you, and, and it's going to be in front of all the people that you're caught up on this mountain. So verse 13 says, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. Verse 14, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If you or if anybody, any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. See, here Moses is, God calls him up on the mountain and he leaves these other leaders behind. He said, if there's people in the congregation of Israel that have big heart issues, what they need to do is go to you. You solve them. You guys know what to do. I'm going to be heading up the hill. And then it said in verse 15, then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. And it says now, now this is not a normal cloud. This is a cloud of glory where the presence of the Lord uh, got so strong, it looked like a cloud. It said this cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord, so he calls it the glory of the Lord, rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, 
the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So it's a blend of some kind of cloud or some kind of fire that's burning over the top of this mountain. And as he starts heading up, he seems to stop before this cloud. And then finally God speaks to him and said, come up into this cloud. And so Moses went into the midst of the cloud and uh, went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So we get this picture of God dealing with the children and he calls Moses up onto this mountain and it's a tremendous sight. And when you read the very next verse, it gives us the context of what's happening with Moses up on the mountain. Moses is up there getting instructions. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to this child, the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. So then he starts telling Moses all these great details, how he has this plan of a temple, a place where people can meet with God. And, and here Moses is uh, getting these instructions. And the Bible later tells us Moses actually looked and there was a heavenly example. So he got all these instructions. He's up there day after day, day after day, day after day. How many think... 40 days is a long time. I mean, if you're up on a mountain, it is, you know. But in the big picture, is 40 days a long time? It's, it's really not. I mean, 40 days? How many of you realize we're basically two months through this year already? I mean, it's like we're more than 40 days. Think about it. And... and, and and Moses was only gone, going to be gone 40 days. He said, listen, while I'm gone, here's what's going to happen. Now, now, now think of this. This is an example for us, what we're reading right here. Moses is gone for 40 days. Moses gives instructions when he leaves. Here's how things are going to operate while I'm gone. I'll be back. He goes up there and he starts uh, getting instructions and different things about this temple and, and verse uh, chapter 32. Now, we're skipping a number of chapters because these chapters are just discussions of how things are going to be built. When Moses goes back down, different, you know, the different things, uh, how the people are to instruct themselves. And so they, we're just spending time with Moses in those chapters up on the mountain. Chapter 32, uh, verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed his coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron. Now remember, Aaron and her are there to answer difficult questions that they can't solve on their own until Moses gets back down. And so they go and they're sitting there complaining where is this guy who brought us out of Egypt? Now remember, this isn't the 40th day. This could be day 30. It could be day 20. It could be just three weeks in. 
Where did he go? He disappeared up in that cloud. What's going on? And the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods. What? Come make us gods, idols. Now this isn't what Aaron is supposed to be doing. Aaron's the spiritual leader in his absence. Isn't it interesting the Bible said before the Lord returns, some people in the church will rise up with itching ears and will ask people to teach wrong things because that's what they want to hear. They will turn away from the truth. Man, this happened within weeks. And remember, this is an example, so we wouldn't do the same thing. And so they said to him, go before us, or come, make us gods that shall go before us. Now, wait a minute. They had been supernaturally being led by God, by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud of glory during the day. They've been doing good so far. They've been having supernatural provision. They've been having all these great things happening to them. And all of a sudden, there's a, a little delay in, in the leader not coming back. And they're like, let's get some new things going in our lives. Let's do some different things. It says that we can follow these gods that they make with their own hands... Notice what they said. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Isn't it interesting? This one who brought him out, they're like, we don't know where he's at. We don't know what's going on with him. We need something else in our life. Isn't it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be weird for a believer to have an idol? To me it would. But remember these things were written for our example so we wouldn't desire after wrong things. And it says this, And Aaron said to them, What are you doing, Aaron? And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives. We'd say it like this. Go get, go get some money out of your wife's purse. She's got all the money anyway. Okay, maybe not. But from your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Go break your, break your kid's piggy bank. Go get all the money you can and go bring it to me. What are you doing, Aaron? He's asking these people, and this is the problem with idols, we start investing in things we have no business investing in. They had no business doing this, but it was something they were starting to crave because their walk with their leader, who is a picture of the Lord Jesus, kind of got a little stale. And they thought, well, there's got to be something else. Instead of using patience, they lacked patience. 
and they started adopting some habits that were really destructive. Now remember, this is called a temptation. And if this would have hit them, and he said, look at this example so that when it comes to you, you will not fall into the same thing. That means God wants to protect us from succumbing to temptations. Now realize this, the path of temptation, it, it looks glorious at first. And that's why people, you know, the enemy will argue, well, it's okay for you to go do that. And it's, it's okay to go live this way. And, and God will just forgive you. But God will forgive us. But that doesn't always negate the negative influence that happens from doing wrong. The wages of sin still produce consequences that are negative. And so what he's trying to do is protect us from the negative consequences or to, uh, if we've entered in them, to back out of them to stop different negative things from coming to pass. Because, see, some people think, well, if all these negative things are happening, why didn't God do something about it? And he did. He wrote these things down to protect us. To protect us from a path that would lead to destruction. And so, notice this. So Aaron's collecting all this gold and, and from, you know, these people, verse 3. So all the people responded. And they broke off golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Isn't it so interesting that when people compromise in their life, it does show up in their countenance? It does. Uh, they can dress pretty, they can do whatever, but it, 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 it affects their countenance. Isn't it interesting that he said, break off these earrings, break this off, uh, uh, affect your appearance. Well, our appearance is based on the heart. And so they went, okay, who cares about our appearance? Let's get a God that's not alive, that, you know, is idle in our life. And so all the people broke off these golden earrings, which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molding, a molded calf. Should have been moldy, but it was a gold calf. When, when Moses finally comes back, I mean, this spiritual leader and the people are whacked out. They're like, oh, well, he, we, they just gave me the gold. I threw it in a fire and out came this calf. I, serious? I mean, Moses didn't even go, come on, dude. But how many people have excuses? And... and and remember, the backdrop of this is only 40 days, and, and they might have only been in two weeks at this time. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is our God. This is our God. This is our God. Any idol becomes a god. 
anything where we say no to you, God, and start propping up something else, and this may not be you, but we do know that people will be presented with this in their life. Doesn't mean we have to succumb to it, but it does tell us these things will come to pressure us to compromise our walk with God. And so it says, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What? Think of this. They got so demented, uh, they're like, you know, they had just seen the Red Sea part. They had seen the children in Egypt, the firstborn, die because they wouldn't cover themselves with the sacrifice that God said, anybody who do, does this, anybody will be protected. They thought, there's no reason to do that, and it costs them. But God didn't want it to happen. But they refused. They had seen all this. This, this idol, they were used to this stuff back in the land. So they just sculpted something that was of the world uh, that they used to sacrifice to. And, and then they make this statement. This golden calf is now our source. This is what brought us out, and it didn't. And this is what's going to take us in, and it didn't. But it was something they started compromising in their own thinking. They started propping this up and saying, and saying this is a good thing. And they're giving their energy to it, their effort to it, their gold to it, and their resources to it. And you know what's so interesting? At the very exact time that they're giving their resources to this, and they're making idols, and they're sculpting this thing, and they said, we're going to follow this, God had written on tablets of stone, you shall have no other gods before me. They are totally doing something opposite of what God was doing in heaven. What God was sculpting and shaping to help form their life, he was giving a plan, and he said, now go down and get gold from the people, do all this stuff, and then you're going to build this place where God does mighty things and people have encounters with him. And so you see this thing happening where Moses is on the mountain, and they're doing completely the opposite. One of the commandments, don't have any other gods before me. They're building another God. He said, take up offerings from the people so they can build the temple, so they can have this place where you meet. And then they take, instead of doing that, they take their earrings and they give it to build a, a golden calf. Mmm. Problem is, that golden calf doesn't even make that kind of noise. And you know what's so interesting in the Bible, because they had learned this, in the later generations knew, they said, why, in the scripture later on, it said, why do you find, follow dumb idols? Now, it doesn't mean dumb like, oh, they're dumb, they're smart. It means dumb in the sense where they don't speak. They, they can't speak to you. You know what's more treasured than anything for the believer? 
is God dealing with us. Those idols, they were going to have to push them. They were going to have to carry them. God was going to lead them. God wanted that, so he said, listen, you guys, learn from this. These cows, these idols, they're not going to be able to communicate with you. They're not going to be able to deal with you. They're not going to be intimate with you. Amen? The NFL is not going to be intimate with you. They've probably already let most people down because your team didn't win. I'm not, not trying to say there's anything wrong with the NFL, but if it is an idol, there is something wrong. But anyway, verse 5 says this, So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. So he makes this calf, and then he's like, We need to build an altar so we can keep sacrificing things. But they were supposed to have an altar and sacrifice to God. So Aaron saw it, and he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Ah, I'm already hurting. But here's the thing. If they face this, I'm so glad they wrote it so we can avoid it. Notice this, verse 6. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is the story that he said we should learn from. This is the story we should learn from. One of the four examples. Now, there would be other examples, but here are some observations. Forty days doesn't seem like a long time, and it had to be much shorter that they started doing this. The Lord's been gone for a while, but he's still coming again. Amen? And we want to be ready ourselves, but here's the other thing. How many people out there, even if it's not us, who have adopted strange gods, strange idols, uh, strange things that, that have consumed their life, that if the Lord came, they would not be doing the right thing. They need our help too. They need direction from us. They need an example from us. Like I said, it's not all about God. It's about God and his people. And we need to be an example and we need to be careful because here's the thing. These people started growing tired of doing this God thing. Isn't that amazing? They got tired of doing this God thing. And, and he said, be careful because there will be days you'll be tempted. And the thing they got tempted with was not fulfilling. It would cost and bring not the return they needed. And so look at verse 15. It says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets... And, and, and here he's coming down because God said, these people down there are doing some stuff that's against me. And it wasn't that God didn't love them, but they were following a destructive path. 
is it ever a good thing to have a golden calf? Is, is it ever good to have a golden calf or have an idol? No. You know, when I grew up, here, here's what's so interesting. You could go to any department store or any home furnishing store, and you never saw like a Buddhist little statue. It's almost like in our day and age, it's almost as if these are there and you just get them as an art piece. Before people thought, don't have that around. I mean, I, I've known Christians who have went, well, let's go get our palm read. Or let's go, you know, to a fortune teller. It, it'll just be fun. We'll just do it as fun. Nobody ever thought like that. But the world does now. Moses comes down, and as he's coming down, Aaron's with him. Or I'm sorry, uh, Joshua's with him. And he's like, hey, is this the sound of a war? Because these people are partying and carrying on. He said, no, it's not. He said, well, is it the sound of this? He said, no. They were compromising, and the Lord was trying to uh, get them to back on the right path. Do this with me. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 10. Is it important? Now, here, is it important what we do with our life, how we serve God? Yes, it is. It's very important. And, and the reason, we're going to look at the reason why he gave these examples. We're going to face these things. We all here may be going, yeah, I've got the Lord first. I've got nothing before me. But what happens is when we have idols in our life, they, they uh, drain the life that we should be living in. Amen. And God wants us to be victorious there's purpose in keeping us from temptation. Notice this 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to read just a couple of verses and close. But notice this in the 11th verse. It says this. It said, Now all these things happened to them as examples. Well, we already know that. He said it again. But he has gone through the list of the things we need to be careful of. And they were written for our admonition, or literally for our instruction, that, that they were written. I'm sorry. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, or for our instruction, upon, upon whom the ends of the age have come. So he's basically saying we're going to be the generation that's going to close this out. And these things were written for us. These are things that we all will face, but we can win. He said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What is he saying there? He's saying, hey, if you're walking this walk and you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm good. He said, examine these things to make sure that you don't fall into them. And I am convinced this, anybody who has a relationship with the Lord and who is saved, God will deal with them about different things in their life. He will endeavor to keep us away from these things. Because remember, temptation is a path 
to get people to yield to things that produce spiritual death in them and destruction, that take strength away, take vitality away, that, that just rob people. It's important to teach grace. That God's grace is sufficient. That God has provided all things. That His love is without condition. But that can be true of a parent too who, who loves their kid dearly and they'll warn them, don't touch that electrical thing, baby. Don't touch the hot stove. I think, you know, as an adult, I keep needing to hear that. Don't touch hot things. Amen? I mean, I've done it. I thought, oh, I took a picture of my finger. Looks good right now, just don't have a lot of fingerprint on there. But you know how you put a little probe in your barbecue, you know, it can tell you your temperature. You don't know what that, people know what that is. So you can cook it right, you know, you're not guessing. And uh, that would help people. That's a revelation. You don't have to burn your chicken every time. You don't have to burn your burger or have rare burgers. And so you can just put that probe in there. Well, one time I opened it up and thought, I'll just grab it real quick. And I grabbed it, and I'm not kidding you, my finger sizzled. It went... Before I, my hand told my head, dude, let go of this. <laughs> I mean, it was so fast. I'm hearing this, and I looked, and I uh, thought, that, that, that's going to leave a mark. We, that, I mean... Wouldn't you appreciate like a picture of that? Don't do this because this could happen to you. And we would all go, wow, I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling me that. But God wrote these things down because uh, he wanted to help us. And we should all go, I appreciate that. But sometimes the enemy gets in people's counsel of their mind, and they think, well, I'm okay. It won't hurt me. It won't, that won't happen to me. That won't have an ill effect on me. I'm doing okay. But he wrote this to help us. Verse 13, no temptation, so he's calling these them temptations, has overtaken you. The implication here is that People can be tempted in these areas and even succumb to them. But, he said, there's no temptation or pressure overtaking you except such as is common with man. You're, you're not weird after all. say that again you're not weird after all if you're tempted what's wrong with me what am i doing that i'm that's wrong nothing but he said no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man how many of you know these things are common with people have you ever seen somebody succumb to them have you ever seen somebody overcome them this is what's real cool but god is faithful Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now I've heard this quoted like this and I think it's fair for me to say this. 
People quote this and say, there's no temptation that's overcome you, and God will not put on you more than you can handle. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say God's not going to put on you more than you can handle. Even when this junk is coming at you, God will not allow it to become so strong that its power is greater than you. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible said the Lord will raise a standard against him. But you understand this, that doesn't mean, oh, then just keep doing the wrong. No, what he said was, God won't allow you to be overcome, but when these things are happening, he said, he will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, he will make a way for you to escape these things. How many of you know if we have an escape route, we need to take it? Turn over here to Hebrews 12, and I believe we'll close over here or maybe one other verse. But think about it. If these things come to people and they come to all, this means we don't need a golden calf we need our relationship with God uh, vital because he will deal with you to keep you from falling into any of them. He will make a way of escape so that you will not be overcome, but you will overcome. That's God's plan. Not to be overcome and not... Because here's the thing. If I don't take the way of escape... The pressure will just sit there and keep wearing on me. But he won't ever allow it to get so great, you just have to give in. But boy, I don't... How many of you like pressure, temptation? There have been times I've been pressured and went, ooh, I don't like this. And, And they come at random times. But I don't want to prolong it by not taking the way of escape or the direction that the Lord gives me to take. And to keep the idol or do that and then keep the pressure on. You know, in the Old Testament, and remember, those things were written for examples for us. Remember when the children of Israel, God wanted to deliver them? So he went and told Moses, I mean, told Moses to go talk to Pharaoh and go say to him, let my people go. And so Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to. And the Lord said, you're going to. And with a strong hand, he started moving on Pharaoh. And what's interesting, he would compromise and go, okay, okay, I'm going to let him go. Then he would change because the pressure got so great. And, and, And sometimes people change because of pressure, but that's not the best way to change. It is a way, but it's not the best way. We don't have to wait till we get to the bottom of the barrel to change. And so they're, they're there. And so one of the plagues is frogs. But not like frogs like, oh, I had a frog in my yard. I mean, they're in everything. And the Lord said, I'm going to send these frogs in. And the pressure on Pharaoh was so great. But here's what happened. He said, let me decide later. So Moses comes back another day later and finally goes, okay. In other words, 
he could have gotten rid of the situation sooner by his obedience. Some things change by our faith, and other things change by our obedience, which is faith. You with me? So let's look at this, because to me, this is awesome. This is like the doorway to victory. If he told us, don't go after these things, uh, don't get hooked up with things that are higher than me in your life, don't, don't fall into the trap that they did, that they didn't only hook up with it, they started sacrificing toward it and giving toward it and living toward it. And here, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in the 13th verse, he's talking about how God deals with all of his people. Are you a people of God? I believe we are. Notice this in the 12th chapter, 13th verse. He said, and make straight paths, or in other words, or follow this direction you're getting from the Lord for your feet, so that that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. He told us if we would uh, follow the path that we know and the example he gives, he said there would be recovery from being lame. You know, and we're not talking about when we're like, you know, sitting around somebody's like, you're lame. No, he's talking about becoming feeble and becoming weak. And he's talking about their spiritual condition. And he said, listen, you want strength in your life? You want recovery from the pain in your body? You want any of this stuff to change? He said, this is a path that you have to take. He said, you have to follow the Lord's dealings. For them, it was get the idols out. How many of you know the Bible said Jesus said, I am leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Kind of sounds like Moses. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to find out how to prepare some stuff. God's going to give me instruction. But don't worry, I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave spiritual leaders here on the earth. Uh, with you, and I'll be up on the mountain. Uh, you, if you need, you've got hard questions, you go to them. They'll be instructing. They'll be leading in my absence. And uh, off he went. And isn't it true the Lord went to heaven? He's there. And he's coming back. And so we may not be doing any of these things, but if we are, I promise you this. God will deal with you. And if you're not doing any of these things, God will deal with you to keep you from them. And not only that, he will help you help others. If we really sang that song and said, Lord, you're coming soon. So we wait. These people waited and <laughs> kind of changed. But how many of you know we're not going to? And anywhere we've been tempted, we're going to be wise. Any, anywhere we can look at the example like them 
And, and here's the thing. The vitality of a believer is enhanced in obedience. My walk becomes vibrant and there is some kind of flow that comes into my life. So much so that it will affect my strength, will affect my health, will affect different areas. Amen? And actually affect provision and everything else. Amen. Who said that? It's true. God, God has good stuff for us. Now you understand this. When I preach this, this is what makes the message or breaks it. Ready? What's God dealing with you about? Whatever he deals with you about, you do that. I heard a man say one time, when I, years ago, I was at a youth camp. We had a guest speaker. This, this might have been 30 years ago. I, I remember he said, who is the best preacher you've ever heard in your life? And I'm going to close with this. Who's the best preacher? Well, I'd heard some pretty good preachers. And I was like, oh, maybe this one or maybe that one. He's like, how many of you are thinking of the best preacher you've ever heard? And that's a good question for you. Who's the best preacher you've ever heard? Now, God uses humans, but he said this. He said, your own conscience is your best preacher. Because God deals with our own hearts. Amen. Okay. Ready? Amen. Amen. Praise God. He's good.